It's good to be with you this morning. Um, glad to uh, be with you and to serve you in this capacity. And I wanted to thank you uh, personally uh, for your love and care for our family, for uh, Phil and Laura when they were in your midst. Uh, they love you very much, and we appreciate uh, your care for them. If you have uh, a Bible and like to, to turn in it with me to Isaiah 9, there's a couple passages I'd like to read uh, that are important background passages uh, for the, the text we're looking at this morning. And the first one is found in Isaiah 9. And we'll be reading there. It's a familiar passage to you, but verses 1 through 7. And here uh, it says something about the context of our Lord's ministry in Galilee. Isaiah chapter 9, I'll just read the first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now if you turn to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, and I want to read verse 32 and then skip down to verse 37 through 52. John chapter 7, verse 32, it says, There the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And then skip down to verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this, is really, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? 
But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And now finally we come to our text, John 21, verses 1 through 14. John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for this word. We remember, Father, what our father Abraham said long ago that the Lord will provide. And you have been so faithful in your daily provision of bread, meeting all of our needs, granting us strength. And so now, now Father, with, with this word, we ask that you would abundantly provide again, provide that nourishment that would build strong spiritual bones. Grant us your spirit, grant us your truth, grant us your grace for this very task. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Peter Jackson, who uh, is the man who directed uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, was asked a question. He was asked, why did you take out the scouring of the Shire at the very end of the third book? It's a, for those of you who have, have read the books, so it's a very important moment in those books. And his response was, 
that that whole story, part of the story, struck him as anticlimactic, which is a telling insight, I think, into Peter Jackson and whether or not he understood the books at all. Anyway, just my opinion. But anyway, think of where we are in the Gospel of John. Christ has suffered, he's been crucified, and he has risen from the dead. And for most of us, that's when we would probably close the book. And yet here we have this uh, moment on the shore of the Sea of Galilee of Jesus eating breakfast with his disciples. And it's a curious thing uh, that John includes here. And for some of us, perhaps, we would read this and be tempted to say that this is perhaps anticlimactic. So it raises the question, why is this here? And, And why would... Uh, John included. So that's our quest this morning to, to answer that question. Now, if you look at the text, it has sort of like three movements to it. The first three verses, if you're a note taker, uh, there's the Sea of Galilee. It's giving you the context of where this whole thing unfolds. So those first three verses, the Sea of Galilee. And then, of course, the fishing. Uh, for many of the men in the room, favorite part of the story. Uh, verses 4 through 8, fishing on the sea. And then, verses 9 through 14, breakfast on the shore. So we have Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, then you have fishing, then you have breakfast. Those are the three simple points of our text. So the whole thing begins with Peter saying, I'm going fishing. And the six others saying, we're going to go with you. And of course, how could any man be blamed for wanting to go fishing? Uh, That is always the right move anytime. Um, But they go out in the boat, and it says they fished all night, and they caught nothing. And and experienced fishermen understand how this works. You can be at the right spot with the right bait, but it's the wrong time right? That's the way fishing is. And these are expert fishermen, and yet they get skunked at this in, in, um, in this particular fishing episode. But it raises the question, why are they at the Sea of Galilee? By the way, Sea of Tiberias at the Sea of Galilee. Why are they at the Sea of Galilee? Why are they here, and why are they fishing? Well, these are men of Galilee. This is where all four of these, or eight of these men are from. And Acts 1.11 tells us these are men of Galilee. And, of course, they're at home fishing. Uh, Peter, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all of them have been professional fishermen from birth. But you see, this is the first time in three years they don't have Jesus with them. For three years, they've not needed to worry about money, about revenue, or their next meal. Women were funding this ministry. Jesus has these amazing miracles where he's producing enough food for 5,000 people. They've not had to worry about that at all. But Jesus is not here. And they need to provide for their families. And so that would seem like the natural answer of why they're here. But that is not the reason they've come to Galilee. In fact, they're here because Jesus told them to come here. This is his very command. And so we have to think back towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew In Matthew 26, when Jesus is praying with his disciples in the garden, he says this, After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And more importantly, two chapters later, when Jesus is risen and he appears to the women, he says this to them, Go quickly and tell his disciples, tell my disciples, that I am risen from the dead, and behold, I am going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, the angel said. And then in verse 10, Christ appears to them and says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so the, the disciples are here because this is exactly where Jesus told them to go, 
and to meet him. And so they're waiting for him. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is setting up this whole scenario. In fact, verse 1 says that after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. There's a particular way in which Jesus wants to reveal himself to his disciples. So he's the one who's creating the situation uh, to, to meet them. He wants to show them something for their faith. He wants to reveal himself in this way. And this is kind of what he was doing in John chapter 6. Remember there it says that uh, Jesus ordered his disciples to get in the boat and go on ahead of him, without him. And what happens? It starts to get dark on the lake. A wind comes up and a storm begins to arise in the sea and the disciples are afraid. And that's when Jesus chooses to walk in the water to his disciples and he calms the sea. He had just been teaching them about who he is, what he's capable of doing. Now he's going to reveal it to him to prove that there's no wave too high and there's no sea that is too wide or storm too great to separate him from his disciples to care for them. He wanted to reveal himself back in John chapter 6. He wants to reveal himself again to them here, again to encourage their faith and to show his disciples who he is and to assure them of this. Let's get back to the fishing, verse 4. It says here that this man appears on the shore, and the disciples don't know who it is. We know who it is. It's Jesus. And he calls out to them, and he says, lads, haven't you caught anything? This is the way fishermen do. You go by another boat, and are they biting? You know, what are you using? That sort of thing. This is a sort of friendly conversation that takes place, and um, the disciples say, no. And so he says, try the starboard side. I think you'll find something there. So they cast again, and so many fish flood into the nets. They can't even bring the nets into the boat. And it's at that moment, the significance of the event hits the disciples. And true to form, John is the first to see it. Peter is the first to act. And it's John who says, it's the Lord. And Peter throws on a cloak and jumps into the lake and leaves all the work for the other, other guys. That might strike you as odd. Why would he do that? Well, it raises an inter- interesting question of why Peter would do this. Why would he just leap into the, into the sea and leave the net for the other disciples? So let me ask you about Matthew, a tax collector. When Jesus called him, what did he do? He got up immediately from the table and left all that revenue, all those receipts on the table to follow Jesus. What about the Samaritan woman? When it dawns on her who she's talking to, she came to that well to get water. But it says she ran to the, to the local town and she left her water jar. Forgot completely why she had, had come. This is what happens when people, in their excitement, they see the significance of Jesus and they forget everything else. Nothing else matters. Peter's just acting on instinct here. And perhaps it's because it reminds him of another time in Luke 5. When Jesus is in Peter's boat and he's teaching the people, and he's done teaching, he says, you know, let's, let's put out to, 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 to sea here, and let's, let's catch some fish. And Peter says, well, we fished all night, we caught nothing. He says, but since you, you said it, we'll do it. And they go out, and sure enough, they fill the, the nets with so much fish, the nets begin to break. And it hits Peter who this is, and he gets on his knees. 
He says, you need to get away from me. I'm a sinful man. The Lord says, don't worry. From now on, you'll be fishing for men. And just like then, here again, you know, Christ is revealing his supernatural character, his divine nature to these men, gathering all the fish of the sea. Well, the men come to shore, and what happens here? Jesus invites the disciples to breakfast. They come to the shore. What does it say there? It says the disciples see fish cooking on a charcoal fire. They see some, some bread there, and it's time for breakfast. This reminds me of a time that uh, we were fishing at uh, my sister-in-law's lake house. Went out, got some bass and some perch. I was really excited. I never had perch before, and I heard it was pretty good. It was excellent. Uh, I won't tell you how we prepared it because it'll make you hungry. Uh, but we came into the house, and one of the relatives said, who ever heard of having fish for breakfast? And I couldn't contain myself. I said, Jesus? And so it was an important teaching moment, you know. Had nothing to do with my being immature. But uh, anyway, so here they are. And he says, bring some of the fish. He says, you just caught. And you can't help but wonder, is he winking at his disciples that you just caught? And it reminds me of a time uh, when I lived in Alaska. We're on a, a salmon, a silver run. And a friend of mine hooked a, a silver uh, and he comes over and he gives me the rod, and 35 minutes later, I finally got this, this big salmon in, and I held it up, and he says, wow, he says, that's a great fish you caught. I was like, well, I didn't catch it. You know, he caught it. He gave it to me. The same thing is happening here. But who provides here? It's Christ. This free gift of all this fish. Bring some of this fish you just caught. And so Peter jumps in and grabs the net, pulls it ashore, 153 large fish. This is a total fishing story. It's true, but this is what happens when you catch a really big one. You'd say, where's the measuring tape? We've got to see how big this fish here. Look how many fish we caught. We have to count them. This is, this is a wonderful human story here where they're wondering how many fish there are. They're counting them. This is a really great event. There are so many. The net didn't break. Isn't this amazing? And here again, alluding to, to Luke chapter 5, a similar catch of fish. But the story becomes very human again, and Christ says, come and have breakfast. Maybe some of you children have read the Chronicles of Narnia and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. At the very end of that story, it's Jill and it's Eustace that come to a shore, and there's a fire there, and there's fish cooking on the fire, and there's someone there who says, come and have breakfast. And C.S. Lewis is alluding to this. And children, I want you to ask your parents or see if you can remember, who is it that's speaking to them? And it's not a lion. It's a great insight into, into this story. But as this is happening, it says there's no uncertainty as to who Jesus is. All the disciples know this. They, they know who this is. They know what he's done. Nobody's talking and saying, who are you? What are you doing? It's nothing like that. Everybody is thinking the same thing. It's the Lord. And if you think about it, Jesus is doing again what he's done so many times before. He is providing for his disciples. Fish and bread. Have we seen that before? Yes, we have. Fish and bread. Here he is serving his disciples. They're eating and drinking in this familiar place on the shores of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is the risen Christ. Seated before them, he's revealed his divine power over the sea, 
and over the grave. But everybody is quiet and just taking it in. And the passage concludes the way it began. Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he rose from the dead. He wanted to reveal himself to these intimate disciples in this very way that would suit them and that would remind them who he is. That in one sense, he is still the same, but in another sense, he is not the same. This is the risen Jesus. And you see, it's important. It brings us back to to Galilee. This is a small, rural, insignificant area. And that's why we read John chapter 7. The Pharisees have nothing but contempt for this little town in this area. Nothing but contempt for Galilee. They're the ones who said, no prophet comes from Galilee. It is inconceivable that God would raise up somebody so important from a place so insignificant. This is a no place. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Remember, Philip said that, or Nathaniel said that. So can a prophet arise from Galilee? But what did Jesus do in Galilee? What did the disciples see in Galilee? For for starters, Galilee is the home of Jesus, Nazareth of Galilee. This is, this is his home. And this is where he first called Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. It was in Galilee. This is where Jesus performed his very first miracle to reveal his glory in the wedding in Cana of Galilee. That's where he performed his second miracle when he healed the official's dying son. This is where he healed the crippled man in Bethsaida, where he healed the leper, or the man with a shriveled hand, or the centurion servant. All these miracles took place in Galilee. This is the place where Jesus paid the temple tax by asking Peter to go put a line in the Sea of Galilee, and you'll find a coin there, and you can pay our tax. And this is where Jesus walked on the water, the Sea of Galilee. When his disciples thought of Galilee, what are they thinking of? This is not just the the home of of Christ. This is where he performed all these miracles. They would always associate Galilee with where Christ is from and where he proved his disciples. They had so many memories that were anchored to this place. But so now here they are sitting around the fire looking at each other. And they could look around and see these familiar places. This place where they'd fished so many times, but all these memories they have with Jesus. And here they are eating and drinking with the eternal Son of God become flesh, who has died and is risen. They're fellowshipping, communing now with the Savior of the world. All because Jesus chose to reveal himself to his disciples in this way, in this place that he chose, in a way that suited them, in a place that they would always associate with him. Apparently, prophets do arise from Galilee. And so does the Christ, the Messiah of God. A prophet can arise from Galilee, and this prophet has. And here he's doing what he's always done before, always providing and binding abundantly, like in in John 6, taking those five loaves and and feeding probably 20,000 people, 5,000 men, we're told. And it says afterwards they gathered uh, 12 baskets uh, with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. They ate their fill. He had abundantly provided for them. And here he is doing this all over again. And reminds us, too, of the lesson that God uh, taught Israel in the wilderness. 
when the people began to complain to Moses, said, we want meat, give us meat. Do you remember what Moses prayed to the Lord in Numbers 11? He said, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Listen to this. Shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? God says, is my arm short? You'll see whether my word will come true or not. And here we see this very thing being done by Christ in the presence of his disciples. They go fishing and they're not successful. And Christ is making that point again to them. Whether they're fishing for fish or for men, he is the one who can enable them to do these things. He is the one who will go with them. He is the one that can clothe them with power because he is with them by his spirit. He's showing them again who he is and what he has done and what he can do. So let me ask you a question now. If you could go to any moment in history, where would you go? Just think for a second. Any moment in all of history, where would you go? Some people would say creation. Good answer. That would be something, right? Creation. And some people might be tempted to say the Red Sea. I would love to see that. Some people might say the flood. I think you should rethink that answer about the flood. The cross. The resurrection. Or the ascension. If I could pick one moment, it would be this moment. Be on the shore. The Sea of Galilee. Knowing who he is. What he had done. This crucified, risen Savior. And just to be there, not talking, just at rest, eating and drinking with the Lord. What I love about this moment is here they are eating with Jesus. Nobody is saying anything. They don't need to. It's like those of you who have been married for many decades. When you're sitting beside your spouse, nobody's talking. You're just at peace. You're so comfortable with them. You don't need to talk. It's a beautiful thing. They know who he is. It's just one of those quiet moments when they're at rest. They don't need to talk. They're just comfortable. Today, you and I get to eat and drink Signs of grace that has been multiplied to us. That God shows us again in the picture that we have here on this table. That he can abundantly provide from his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And we get to sit here together in the quiet of our faith. A faith that is at rest. Because it has found its rest and its peace. In Jesus Christ. And he gives to us this this sacrament that's meant to give us peace and to be at rest. We don't need to say anything except to be grateful in our hearts. We know that he is the prophet. He is the prophet. And he has spoken to us through his truth and by his spirit, words of salvation, and opened up to us this great redemption that he's purchased for us as our high priest interceding for us at the cross in his death and now at the right hand of God. This is our great king who has conquered the power of our sin to condemn us or to reign over us. And through all the perfections of his divine character 
and his power. What is it that Christ has done? He has gathered us into the net of salvation to be with him and to never be cast out. This is our Savior who can and who has and who will provide all that we need. So this is a moment for us to sit with him quietly comfortably in this familiar place where you have gathered so many weeks before to be with our Savior. It says to us in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There is nothing anticlimactic about that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we do open the door of our heart. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, in order that we might fellowship with you and you with us. Be pleased, O Father, to answer this prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.